0: This week's podcast proudly brought to you by Kent Cartridge. See, I made the mistake of buying the cheapest shot shells I could find when I first started duck hunting, and I would literally I'd watch feathers fly off of birds as they gave me a middle finger and flew off unscathed. That's when I switched over to Kent, and I was bartending and waiting tables at the time in college, and money was tight. But Kent offered me a great product at a fair price, and I've never looked back. Of course, now we have. Uh, Fast Steel 2.0, they just released Fast Steel Plus for this upcoming season, and with Dove season on the horizon, we've got Steel Dove, and then Teal Steel for early Teal season. Whatever your shotgunning needs are for this fall, Kent has you covered. You can find all of their products at kentcartridge.com. This week's show brought to you by Ducks Unlimited, an organization that I've been plugged into for, gosh, over 15 years now. From the Alaskan wilderness to the Atlantic Flyway, across America's Great Plains, and down the Mississippi Delta, Ducks Unlimited has been leading the way in wetlands conservation since 1937. The DU family has ensured the protection of over 16 million acres of waterfowl habitat. Think about that. So, come join us. You too can carry on DU's conservation legacy. Visit ducks.org to find your local event and join our volunteer team, Ducks Unlimited, the world's leader in wetlands conservation. Baby drove a car like a highway junkie
1: Stopping just for coffee and cigarettes Long and winding wide line go Burning up for wheels with no time
0: to rest Good morning, good morning, good morning, Cable Smith. Welcome in everybody to episode 698 of SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Thank you so much for being here today. It is a pleasure, a treat, an honor to be talking all things hunting, fishing, and conservation with you. I'm thinking about just not saying fishing anymore. <laughs> when we first started out, we talked a lot more fishing. I will tell you that. Uh, but maybe this is a terrible reason, but it's the God's honest truth. I never could get a dime out of the fishing industry as, as far as supporting the show goes. So uh, I still love fishing, and we talk about it as much as possible but then also you know uh, i like hunting more than i like fishing so i mean i i'm in love with hunting i enjoy fishing immensely but uh yeah i don't know (laughs) it is funny to think about though how things change uh but yeah we're talking all things outdoors with you thanks for being here we've got a good one lined up for you today so you know what to do by now pull up that stool. A little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of that black rifle coffee out of granddaddy's beat up old Stanley Thermos, the one caked with mud from duck seasons that have long come and gone. You know what? I don't I maybe rinse that thing out with, with tap water once a season, but I think it's like a, a cast iron skillet. All that old coffee residue just adds character, adds flavor, right? So anyway, pour yourself another cup we're ready to rock and roll and today we'll be joined by outdoor life's Dak collins Um, i like to visit with some of my favorite outdoor writers especially when they pin pieces that really pique my interest and Dak certainly did that um, when i came across two articles one was recent uh, but the one that really had me wanting to visit with him is like a year old and and I came across it because National Geographic ripped off his story uh, and basically repinned the exact same piece that he wrote. And the article references mountain lions in Washington state killing wolves. Interesting, right? So uh, yeah, I came across that, the Nat Geo piece and then looked up you know other articles and found his and it was essentially the same thing. So I was like, well, screw Nat Geo. They're, you know, anti-hunting publication anyway. So, uh, yeah, let's visit with Dak about this phenomenon between cats and dogs. So we'll talk mountain lions and wolves. Um, we might mix in some fly fishing. We will talk some fishing today. I guarantee you that as Dak is a, a former fishing guide for, I believe, salmon and trout. And then we'll get into the more recent article that he wrote, and it pertains to a couple whitetail bootleggers transporting CWD-positive deer across state lines. and their home state of South Carolina, void of CWD-positive deer, didn't take too kindly to these boys bringing chronic wasting disease back home with them. So does the uh, punishment fit the crime? I don't know. We'll discuss with Dak, though, coming up here. And then uh, at the bottom of the hour, I will give you my tips. And keep in mind, there is no magic elixir when it comes to finding a hunting lease. But I'll give you the things that have worked for me over the years because I've had a ton of inquiries, especially with the influx of folks moving to Texas. We welcome you, by the way. Vote accordingly. Please don't turn Texas into the uh, anti-gun, anti-hunting, left-wing, woke cesspool of an existence that you've fled from. It's really a weird phenomenon that I don't understand, but inevitably, some folks can't help themselves. They go to the ballot box, and they vote to turn their newfound freedom into the same asshole that they just left in the rearview mirror. So please, keep Texas pro-gun and pro-hunting, for all of our sakes. Uh, and if you do that, then we're glad to have you. Otherwise, why'd you leave? <laughs> but I digress. Uh, that's what's on the docket for today. I'm going to try to help you find a lease one way or another. Let's do a quick giveaway here. Uh, how about a Mossberg cap and one of my brand spanking new Make Orwell Fiction Again t-shirts. It has the uh, Lone Star Outdoor Show logo on the back. But yeah, uh, I ordered a couple extra ones, and we'll throw in uh, the Mossberg cap, We'll throw in a Mossberg hoodie as well and then the uh, the new Lone Star Outdoors show make Orwell fiction again because I really think that uh, those are words to live by. Orwell needs to be fiction. <laughs> All right, let's take that break. Up next, Outdoor Life's Dak Collins joins us on the Lone Star Outdoors show. If you're looking for a new gun safe, you need to check out the Performance Firearm Storage Solutions from It. Unlike traditional safes, Securit products are designed to perform for you. They're lightweight, so you can discreetly store them in any room in the house, and the interior is completely customizable to fit your guns and gear. I would know I've got four of them. Their fast-access storage system keeps my guns and optics organized so they never touch each other or get damaged, and I'm never more than an arm's length away from a firearm. The best part? They're always running great sales. Head over to secureitgunstorage.com backslash cable to see their latest promotion, and you can thank me later
1: i did Henry realize this. and you're listening to my dad on a Lone Star Outdoor so Living on the run is all I've ever known. One day here and the next day gone.
0: <laughs> I think Henry would kill me if he knew I was playing sound bites of him. I mean, he had to be... Two, maybe three years old. That was a blast from the past there. I'm Cable Smith. Thanks to Henry. Thanks to Reckless Kelly uh, passing through, bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show presented by Mossberg Firearms. And uh, this segment is brought to you by the Mossberg 940 Pro Waterfowl. That's what I'll have in the duck blind this season. And it's the evolution of Mossberg's semi auto loading platform. You can put a 1,000 rounds through it before you even need to clean it. I think I'm at about 700 right now. Yeah, never so much as swab the barrel. It's the 940 Pro Waterfowl. You can find it at mossberg.com. And with that being said, let's get into the age old relationship between cats and dogs. And uh, in this case, we're not talking about Fido chasing Fluffy around the neighborhood. No, uh-uh, we're talking about A big old mean son of a bitch. There's got to be male cougars that are doing this, but mountain lions preying upon, or at least killing. I don't know if they're actually eating them, but our guests can uh, shed some light on that. Anyway, mountain lions killing wolves. And uh, I applaud that behavior. And I don't really like cats as pets. Uh, Mountain lions, bobcats, lynx, certainly cool animals. Wolves, yeah, they have their place on the landscape too. Um But that comes with the realization that the states need to be able to manage their own wolf populations. And uh, the feds seem to like, well, the track record says, history says, the feds don't like that. They don't want to let the states manage them. It all gets hijacked, gets locked up in litigation in the court system, uh, utterly absurd. And so there's no trust there. So when I see, you know, mountain lions, even if it's just a few wolves, but doing their part to curtail Wolf populations? Whew, big fan. Good work, Mount Lions. And so, here to provide some more context and shed some light on this situation, it is my pleasure to welcome Outdoor Life's Dak Collins to the show. Great to be here, Cable. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure, buddy. Uh, so, you're joining us from Colorado?
1: Yep. I live here in Northern Colorado. I um, was based in Texas before this. I kind of grew up in the Coke Country region um and have moved around quite a bit since then i live here with my family up in fort collins
0: okay right on so you got you have kiddos
1: yeah we got a little little boy about a year and a half
0: awesome man yeah Yeah. that's gonna be that's gonna be a lot of fun as uh you know you get him into uh hunting and fishing and your perspective will change from trying to punch your own tag to trying to get him on his first buck or elk or whatever it is you know
1: yeah uh, but i'm looking forward to it man already got some good backpack time with him this year took him on some streams and the, the little backpack so trying to expose him as much as i can
0: nice yeah i have uh quite a few photos of my son in a stroller in the dove field at like you know he's not even a year old he was born in he was born 12 31 12 so um new year's and then that next september i guess he would been like eight or nine months he's sitting there in a onesie in the dove patch with the dog next to him yeah good times yeah good times Uh uh-huh he just shot his first dove this year so
1: okay we showed him
0: those photos yeah he's 10. right on Uh took him i think it was 35 shells to hit his first dove so (laughs) there you go yeah but when it finally happened we were all like oh my god you know like it was pretty cool the whole family all five of us were there cheering him on so yeah it was pretty cool Super and, uh, and i shot a lot of those dove behind him because he only had a i had a 410 single shot 410 for him and when he would miss dad would clean up so yeah there they didn't go. all get away uh, great so tell us about yourself as an outdoorsman i imagine growing up in the hill country it was white tail
1: yeah white tail i did a lot of you know dove and and we had a, a lease down in south texas for a little while when i was in high school did a little bit of quail hunting down nice. there um, even I even remember there being pheasants, you know, out in uh towards Plainview, had some family mm-hmm. out there and we'd go do a you know trip out there every winter. Um obviously not the same in terms of bird numbers out there, but I mean, you know, yeah, I grew up I grew up doing a lot of that. Um, kind of got hooked on fly fishing at a weirdly early age when there wasn't, you know, a ton of that going on in Texas. Um, a guy, Kevin Hutchison, who's still kind of a well-known guy there in that part of the state. Um kind of taught me got me into the sport and you know um that kind of was a springboard that launched me into you know doing all kinds of things outdoors moved to Tennessee for a while went to college there um and then actually lived in the Pacific Northwest for a while and that's kind of where I slowly got into outdoor writing and um you know trying to to bridge the gap between you know doing what I really love outdoors and, and writing about these issues that mm-hmm. affect you know all of us who who like to get out there
0: awesome yeah i took my fly fishing stuff to new mexico on my recent elk hunt thinking oh if i get a bull in the first couple days you know i'll spend a few days fly fishing there around taos and like i spent nine days elk hunting didn't get diddly squat, so sat in the truck (laughs) right yeah had to keep i enjoy fly fishing but it's more like hunting for fish um, as opposed to putting a a uh, a minnow or a worm on or you know the sacrilege among fly fishing to use live bait but uh you know
1: (laughs) yeah i mean especially when you get into the side casting side of it i mean that you know the red fishing game in texas is for me some of the funnest fishing in the world um and then you know you can you can chase all sorts of other stuff carp Mm -hmm. stuff by seeing them but yeah there's something special about you know being able to to hunt down something with your eyes and and fool it into eating eating a little piece of you know something you created pretty fun. yeah
0: i've only been fly fishing on the coast one time i hooked into one uh nice redfish and he got into the mangroves and broke me off uh but I mean, talk about the tug on on a light a lightweight fly rig uh most recently though i did uh we went up to the lake ray roberts uh dam and spillway and we're sight casting to buffalo and those things can put up a pretty good fight, too. They can get massive. Uh, oh, yeah. I actually caught, landed two of them that day, and that was back, I think, um, probably like late May. It was right before it started to just get unbearably hot. Um, but Yeah, there's. I mean, there are fly fishing opportunities. Uh, sight casting to carp in the shallows on any uh, North Texas lake can be challenging but also rewarding. You know, if you're looking for the tug, I mean, a lot of those rough fish can really put up a good fight. Yeah, for sure. And it's really blown up in Texas
1: too. I mean, the amount of guides, I mentioned Hutcherson, when I was growing up there, there was maybe a couple other people making a living doing that.
0: And mm-hmm.
1: Man, uh moved back for a couple of years around 2020 and dozens of guides, you know, all over the state. So there's there's it's growing throughout the country, but I think people are realizing how cool uh Texas is just in terms of year-round fishery, you know? I mean, you really can 12 months out of the year. Up here in Colorado, I'm about to put my gear away in 2 months. I'll be, right. you know, looking at frozen rivers and, you know, um, kind of wait until the spring, but, but uh-huh. it's pretty special to be able to get out there 12 months a year. If that's what you really love doing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I just, uh, transitioned from a lifelong Android user to an iPhone user. And I have no idea how to use this damn phone. So, but I am now, I'm no longer the black sheep on all the text threads and the group chats and everything where people are cussing you for being Android and you're screwing up the, the text chain, but, uh, yeah no idea how to use it we're learning is fly fishing i guess your favorite outdoor pursuit then
1: yeah it is probably um you know i've gotten back into to bird hunting uh, over the past few years which i've really enjoyed haven't done a ton of big game hunting since leaving texas like high mm-hmm. school age um but yeah i i you know guided for a few years fly fisherman out of college i worked in alaska for four or five seasons um uh, i've kind of gone back up there when i can to to fill in for trips so Um, it's probably what I've got the most experience doing and um, is kind of yeah if I was going to specialize in in something outdoors that's what I'd be doing
0: I'm assuming I mean you live in Colorado so mostly trout's your favorite
1: yeah I mean uh, the old steelhead bug got me for a while I was living in um, Oregon and Washington for for three four years um, and was you know got very into the the steelhead fishing game which is a lot of time for not a ton of Ton of reward in terms of numbers. Um, was actually just in Idaho last week and caught my first steelhead in a few years and was reminded, hmm. you know, how just amazing and powerful those fish are,
0: man. It's incredible. Well, I've never had the pleasure of hooking into a big steelhead, or I've never done salmon fishing for that matter. Uh, one of those things that's on the bucket list, but I have yet to make it to the Pacific Northwest or Alaska uh, to uh, take advantage of those fisheries. Definitely want to let's do this let's knock out a quick break here we'll come back and get into this interesting phenomenon regarding wolves and cougars in washington state Uh, because i haven't heard of this taking place anywhere else i hope that it is (laughs) but you mentioned you're pretty flexible on your schedule so we've got much to discuss that segment of the show brought to you by black rifle coffee and my friends over at rustic reminders taxidermy We'll be right back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. I made mistakes, and one was telling you that I'd be there when telling
1: time had come. I should have said I didn't care. Some say a silenced gunshot is the baddest sound out there. At Silencer Central, we have another favorite. It's the sound of silence delivered to your front door. When you buy from Silencer Central, we handle your application, set you up with a free NFA gun trust, and deliver your silencer straight to you. With an average 90-day turnaround time when you use e-forms, buying a silencer is simpler than ever. Visit silencercentral.com and we'll help you get started.
0: Everything's so great, can't get better, makes me want to cry, but i the moon Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, we're still visiting with Outdoor Life's Dak Collins, and we'll get back into the uh, cat eat dog conversation, so to speak, here in just a second. First, though, this segment. Brought to you by Big and J Whitetail Attractants. It's what I use at both of my leases. and I'm not kidding you. Uh, Even on a new place, put out some of that BB Squared. Uh, I prefer the uh, powder form, Um, but put some of that out and literally, uh, and I've had it every time within 48 hours, but generally within like eight to 10 hours, um, deer start showing up, usually bucks too. Uh, That's my personal experience, that's all I can tell you. It works. You can find the BB Squared and their entire lineup right there at bigandj.com. That being said, uh, Dak, thanks for sticking around. Let's get back into today's conversation. I recently came across this, uh, it was a Nat Geo article, which Nat Geo is far from a pro uh, hunting or conservation publication. It's pretty far to the left on that spectrum. But it was this article and it was regarding Washington State Cougars um, preying on gray wolves that have obviously they've come across from the uh, the initial reintroduction in Montana, Wyoming, and Idaho. I think in '94, and now they've made it all the way to you know Washington State, o- Oregon. Um, but I thought that was very interesting. And then I did a little more digging, and uh, and it was basically very similar to a piece that I found that you wrote. And I think it was, no, it was October of 2022. Yeah. Uh, an article for outdoor life. So I, I found it fascinating because, you know, we have this, this wolf problem and I doubt that cougars are making a significant dent in their populations. Probably it's probably going the other direction. Actually wolves usually win. they're a pack animal, they'll push cougars off their prey, uh, push them out of an area. But, this uh, this was cool because it looks like the cats are actually you know winning in in some one on one situations. So how did you find out about it, and how does uh, the Washington uh, I don't know what is it, wild Washington Department of Wildlife or, or whatever Fish it is. Wildlife. Yeah. Uh, how how do they track that? How do they confirm that that's actually occurring? And what what did you learn throughout you know digging uh, for this for this piece?
1: Yeah. So this was something you know. Um, I'm always trying to follow what the state fishing game agencies are up to. And they had sent out a press release kind of around when I did this story that would have been, you know, the fall of 2022 talking about just one, you know, skull they found. And it's a really cool picture. It's kind of the lead photo on the story. Um, You know, a wolf skull with like two very distinct sharp puncture wounds mm. in it. Um, And, you know, they kind of looked at these and, and studied it and realized the only thing it could really be is, you know... um cougar teeth. So I started kind of looking more into, to some of their, um, I don't know, studies around this. And, um, turns out like in the last 10 years, maybe four, maybe four to six instances of wolves getting, you know, killed by cougars. And they've, they've been able to confirm this through, you know, they call it a necropsy where they kind of, uh-huh. you know, they look at the animal, they try to retrace exactly what happened. Um, and, most of those were, um, you know, collared wolves, you know, they were, you know, a collared wolf that was killed or there was, uh, you know, one of the, it was a pup from a pack that had a collared wolf. So they pretty mm-hmm. much like, you know, I think Oregon's the same way these days, they're required to have a collar on at least one wolf in every pack. So they have a pretty good idea of where all these packs are. They all have different names mm-hmm. and they've got at least, you know, one collared individual so they can kind of track their movements you know this comes in handy when they're you know kind of raiding ranches and and uh you know preying on cattle is kind of one of the one of the big reasons they like to track them this closely um yeah and it was just really interesting because they haven't seen this as much in states with even bigger wolf populations that also have cougars you know montana idaho was an example um and the more i kind of read into it i mean we're just really curious about as all hunters, right, I think predators are really just a cool thing to us right. because we inherently are predators ourselves. Um, so we're always interested in, in kind of the ins and outs of how these, you know, how cougars and wolves and bears all interact with one another. They've obviously evolved together over thousands of years. But one of the cool things that I kind of learned when I was digging into this, you know, talking to uh, Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife about this is that, when wolves come into an area they they do kind of like you mentioned you know the wolf packs will sort of push cougars um into different parts of you know kind of constricts their range a little bit um and they're kind of forced to go to the steeper craggier denser parts of an area you know that are maybe not be might not be as favored by by the wolves um but this is also where they have an advantage, right? I mean, they're they're a lot sneakier. They're used to hunting alone. So in these really steep, rocky places, um, you know, the wolves pushing in there, you know, it actually kind of benefits them in a sense that they're, they're this is where they can really capitalize on their ambush style of hunting, you know. Um, and a lot of the wolves that, that have been killed in Washington over the past 10 years, I mean, a couple were pups, so um, they probably strayed off from the pack a little bit. A couple of the other ones were thought to be alone at the time. So that obviously gives, you know, the cats a little bit of an advantage if they're just, you know, one dog versus one cat versus the whole pack. Yeah. But um
0: Well, and but you know, if a pack of wolves came across a cougar, all the cougar has to do is go up a tree. Right. And u- unlike when, you know, I've shot a mountain lion out of a tree, I'd do it again in a heartbeat. If it's the if it's the right mountain lion, right? You know, I'm like I'm not trying to kill uh, a, a young one or a female by and large. Um but that cat will wait those wolves out. Where like if it's a hunter, it's like oh well, there you know if it's the right one, I'm going to shoot it. So I mean, it's not like the wolves are preying upon cougars um, regularly. It would be very very rare for that to actually happen, I would assume. Are these cats actually consuming the wolves? You know, or just killing them.
1: Mostly just killing. them. I mean, I think a lot of them have been competing over a uh, kill. Whether that was like something that you know maybe the the wolf killed a, killed a young moose or something. And then, um, you know, the wolf was killed and then the cougar pretty much just, you know, ate the moose and moved on. I think in most of these instances.
0: Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Um, well, it's fascinating to see these, uh, apex predators interact and, in, and, in, you know, you talk about oh your home where, where you live, Colorado. I mean, we did a very in-depth conversation a couple weeks ago, Uh, With Brian Lynn over at Sportsman's Alliance, as Colorado will probably end up putting cougar hunting on a ballot initiative in November 2024, and that's going to suck for everybody because we know they just voted. I don't know which way you voted. Don't don't really care, but the general population of Colorado just voted to reintroduce wolves. And you think about what funds conservation in Colorado? It's the sale of elk and mule deer tags to non-resident hunters i mean it's the same way across the west the the citizens of the state pay pennies on the dollar compared to what out-of-state hunters are willing to spend you know a lot of them texans um to come in you know like i my uh new mexico elk tag was 770 dollars. well a resident pays 80 bucks so who's footing the bill well it's non-residents but if you wipe out the thing that brings non-residents to your state and funds your you know colorado parks and wildlife it's like a catch-22, and you, to let the general population, the citizenry of the state, decide the fate of, of wildlife conservation, it's a terrible precedent that was set with the with the wolf ballot initiative, and I think if they get 124,000 signatures on this petition, which they will get, uh, then, then it will go to a ballot initiative, and now it's like, well, how do we educate? What do we do now? You know, and as as someone that lives there, I don't know what is your take on the whole thing, because to me, it just seems asinine.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, I, you know, I moved here. I would have moved here after that vote took place. I guess it would have been in 2020 um, when they did that ballot initiative. And you brought up a great point. You know, having one segment of the population decide for everybody is is not a good thing. Especially when it comes to wolves, when you're seeing one side of the population making a decision that's affecting the other half of the state. I mean, yeah. you know, the wolves are going to be living west of the, the divide um, where nearly every county voted against it. Whereas, you know, everybody who's in favor of it is going to be um, maybe visiting those places on the weekends, you know, maybe, maybe, never. <laughs> maybe never, maybe maybe, you know, enjoying the idea of of wolves being there, but they're not actually going to be living with the consequences, living, you know, living amongst amongst them. So I think that's the the hardest part about this uh, is seeing. Yeah, just that like a lot of Western states, Oregon, Washington, are the same way that there's a very hard political dividing line between, mm-hmm. you know, the the populated areas of the state and the rural areas and having a system where, you know, the the cities are, are deciding what goes on in the rural parts of the state i don't think anybody likes that in any state you know it's
0: not sustainable it, yeah. it really is a major it probably is the the conflict of our modern day conflict is the uh you know and, and it's no secret all major cities are blue you know blue leaning and they tend to vote more with uh you know more of an emotionally driven reaction than you know something that's science-based but um and I told Brian this, like, I tried to get the, uh, and, and I I did get her on, but it was it was kind of a dead end, but it was she was the um, um, PR representative for Colorado Parks and Wildlife, and I was like, can you get me a game warden? Can you get me a wildlife biologist? And she's like, no, I'm the only one that can talk to you. I said, like, okay, well, what is the department's take on this? And she goes, we're not allowed, she didn't say we're not allowed to, she said, I have no comment on that. And I said, oh, so there's a gag order. You're not allowed to say. And she goes, No, 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 it's not a gag order. I said, Well, then what is what is y'all's comment? She goes, We don't, we don't have one at this time. <laughs> like, right. somebody told you not to say, you know, because they didn't want biologists to actually influence the vote. So somebody on the other side of the fence got to him and said, Y'all shut up about this. Because they tried to do it like three years before that. And um uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife was very um, very openly against it and then that last time around they had no comment so it'll be interesting to see if they have a gag order this time around assuming they get the you know the required signatures on that petition i don't know but uh it certainly is a conflict of interest like you said because i've hunted mountain lions in uh northwest colorado up around rangeley and dude everywhere you look it's livestock it's cattle and to think about what those rural ranchers are now going to be faced well first we're going to reintroduce wolves and now we're not going to allow mountain lion hunting and the mountain lion that i actually killed had um depredated on two foals which is why we went to that ranch to hunt it
1: yeah
0: it's just uh it's mind it's mind-blowing but um yeah i don't i don't envy coloradans uh the the rural ones, the the ones that understand conservation, what they're up against, man, I don't know. And it, the precedent it sets for groups like Defenders of Wildlife and you know, uh, whatever something Guardians and PETA and Humane Society and you know, it's kind of sets a, a dangerous precedent for any state that allows a ballot a ballot initiative to dictate wildlife management policy.
1: Yeah, that's why we've got commissions led by you know not with people who are following the science right in all these states um and you know right now the most interesting thing that i'm following in terms of in wolves in, in this state in colorado is where are they going to get them you know that's like mm. what people are talking about now as well we've decided that we the people of colorado want the wolves but colorado parks and Wildlife's talking to all these states are talking to idaho and idaho is saying hell no we've seen what's happened. You're like we we don't want to give you any wolf montana is saying the same thing i think oregon and washington were a little more open to it but not able to meet the timeline by you know the end mm. of this year so i think now they're talking with last i heard was the nez Perce tribe um but it's an interesting you know it just kind of proves how how uh yeah difficult this this is going to be to so, if they can even find so those
0: states from. are saying no we're not going to give them to you because we know the consequences correct but those states are very pro wolf management at the same time so it's not like they're washington and oregon not they don't have any wolf management Right. but um idaho and montana i mean shoot, i know idaho fishing game shoots them out of helicopters like they do yes. it leave them yes. there and i applaud them for doing it because they have way too many wolves montana has a you know um open season i don't i don't know what if they have a quota or what but they don't kill as many as they want to you know hunters and trappers put a dent in them but it's not i mean the, the wolf population still expand despite our best efforts huh. that's fascinating to see them say no we're not gonna give you any because yeah. you good. know they have We're, some to give
1: right we've got plenty we've been through that though like we've been through the you know restor- restoring this population and and this is where we are now
0: i bet so trudeau that, yeah. would pony up some he'd be like yes yes we love animals yeah. yeah yeah we'll see what happens well actually i mean i know what's happening um i because I, I, I remember now i read this earlier this week oregon is going to give colorado 10 wolves that's happening so uh, leave it up to Wellcast Oregon to screw things up for everybody. <laughs> if all of the states currently with Wolves just said, no, we're not playing that game, I guess, yeah, I, it would have to be Trudeau. It would have to be Canada. Uh, but no, Oregon, more than happy to play their part in uh, ruining hunting uh, because that's really the, the end goal is uh, introduce more apex predators, less hunter opportunity. Therefore, you cripple hunting and ultimately do away with it. Um, we are going to take a quick break, and then we'll shift gears. You wrote another piece uh, that I found super interesting regarding a couple of misguided hunters who transported CWD-positive deer across state lines. They got busted big time for it, and we'll discuss whether or not the uh, punishment fits the crime. That segment of the show brought to you by Vortex Optics and the Bantam HD 65 by 32 Youth Binocular. It is the first youth specific designed binocular ever released by Vortex. The twins absolutely love theirs and these things retail for under 70 bucks. Plus, if you shop at uh, eurooptic.com, you'll save 10% off all Vortex optics with that promo code LoneStar10 when you check out at eurooptic.com. We'll be right back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show.
1: Put me down. up fight, I can be wrong,
0: you can be right. Chris Latsinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, a full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by Hunters for Hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com Always been a gambling man. Rolling bones with it, a hand. Seven years to promised land. Early in the morning. Well, whiskey keeping my dying bed. Tell me where to lay my head. Not with me is all she said. Early in the morning. some classic Towns Van Zant bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith riding shotgun with you. Thanks for being here today. Uh, we're still visiting with Outdoor Life's Dak Collins i going kind to of talk a little uh, CWD smuggling. It's like uh, running hooch, but with white-tailed deer. Uh, we'll get into that in just a second. Uh, that white lightning. You can't take it across state lines, right? Before we do that, this segment brought to you by SCI, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. I am a proud member, and let me just give you one example of why you should become a member, because maybe you recall that the Biden administration recently tried to defund archery and outdoor education programs in the public school system. Well, SCI, along with uh, Sportsmen's Alliance, and I believe also the SCI West Michigan Bowhunters chapter, they all got together and sued the crap out of the Department of Education over this policy prohibiting the use of federal education funds for archery, shooting sports, and hunter education programs. So... Uh, Congress just changed that law, by the way. On Monday, this past Monday, SCI received confirmation that they will no longer, the Department of Education will no longer be defunding these very necessary school programs. Uh, That's why I'm a proud member. One of the hundreds of reasons. Uh, For more info and to join our ranks, check us out at safariclub.org. Well, let's go ahead and get back into it with Outdoor Life's Dak Collins. And Dak, I wanted to hit on one other article, a more recent piece that you penned um, regarding CWD. But uh, first of all, I forgot to ask earlier, how long have you written for Outdoor Life? Uh, Coming up on about two years now, I've been in this role. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so this uh, this headline was one that – because living in Texas, where obviously you're from, CWD is something that is always uh, front and center, and for, for for what I don't know in Texas because we haven't seen the the um, we haven't seen a wide scale die off. We have maybe, maybe Texas Parks and Wildlife is doing a good job, um, but to me it seems like EHD is way worse, and we don't we don't have I mean, dude, there's billboards all over Texas right now about CWD or texas parks and wildlife they got a new this young guy i don't think he's even qualified to be in the position but they just mailed out to i think the majority of licensed hunters a cwd uh, awareness like two-sided color printed thing it showed up at my house cable smith you know you you bought a hunting license here's your cwd thing well those things cost over a dollar a piece to mail out including postage and you'd think, there's dollars add up? That's millions of dollars that they just spent on this propaganda thing. I don't know. Until I see a wide scale die off of, from CWD, you know, I'm going to stick with my guns. It's like, it's not the Grim Reaper for Whitetail that everyone says it is. Now, maybe in some places out West, it's different, but uh, it hasn't proven. And, and the other thing is, nobody knows what a CWD infected deer looks like because the incubation time can be sometimes two years. Like, it looks the same as a ehd infected or a blue t- they just look dehydrated and thin but it can take two like ehd kills them very quickly um cwd doesn't so i don't i don't know um but so back to the point you wrote this article and uh it was it's titled hunters face jail time from bringing home a cwd infected buck from kansas and it's uh, i guess three dudes and it uh you know serves as a, an example Of states cracking down on the transportation of deer parts due to fears of CWD. So where did you where did you come across this? And kind of give us a little backstory. Um, I mean, these dudes got in a lot of trouble. And I don't know if it's warranted, but we can we can suss that out.
1: Yeah. So this is like a lot of stories. You know, this was a local news story that we chose to elevate. That's kind of a lot of what we do, is we're we're finding you know, smaller stories that are just being covered locally and kind of bringing them to a, a nationwide audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was, you know, following another story we did. Um, and, you know, this story came out, the, the South Carolina hunters, this would have been in August. Um, but in May, you know, there was kind of a, a big deal um, for the first time, at least in Kentucky, you know, the the Department of Wildlife Resources sued a hunter for bringing a CWD-infected buck back. And, you know, um, I think they saw two grand in damages, you know, and that at the time was like, oh, well, okay, this is kind of a new direction in these agencies, you know, campaign, if you want to call it, Mm -hmm. um, against CWD. So I covered that and thought it was interesting. And then, um, you know, saw this headline. Uh, I think it was the state that first reported on it, a a South Carolina newspaper. Um, And these three guys, you know, faced federal charges they were they were brought in you know u.s district court like lacy act stuff yeah it was related to the Lacey act because the wow. because the um you know they killed the bucks in kansas and then by transporting them across state lines you know that's 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 what opened them up to the Lacey act um south carolina being cwd free quote unquote as far as they know right um, is You know, they had sort of made this rule. um, It had been on the books for a while, but I think they they really stiffened the penalties in 2022 um, just because, you know, there was, I think, a a case in North Carolina confirmed. So they're kind of you look on a map and they're sort of surrounded by states with CWD. So they're, you know, I get I get the extra caution they're taking on this. And, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I see kind of why this rule was put in place um
0: so what that, was the? So, what did the dudes what did the hunters like what statute did they violate in kansas like were they supposed to go to a check station and bypass that because i mean at the end of the day if they if they broke the law well then yeah they deserve to be prosecuted we all do right we you know um i feel like i think i read like twenty thousand dollars or something um I don't know if that was the fine or if that was their their bond or what, but uh, I don't know what Kansas regulations are on on testing. Is it if every buck has to be tested, or if they have certain zones and these guys just kind of gave them the finger and said, ah, "I see you, we're going back to South Carolina." What was your understanding there? You know, I spoke
1: with a guy at the
0: DNR in South
1: Carolina, and um, their understanding was that. Um, regulation was broken in Kansas. They weren't sure what it was. the main the main thing that triggered the Lacey Act was um, when they brought it, you know across the state line into South Carolina and in doing so violated a statute you know that prohibited mm-hmm. the transport of of deer parts um, in this in this case, you know, a whole intact deer field dress oh, deer. So the
0: South Carolina won't let you bring back any deer whatsoever.
1: So you can bring back, um, process, let's see, you can bring back quarters, you know, deboned, um, meat hides, um, with no heads attached. You can bring back a clean skull, um, with no mm-hmm. meat attached, but yeah, if you want to get a shoulder mount and you're a South Carolina hunter and you're hunting in Kansas, you need to take it to a Kansas t- taxidermist essentially, because mm-hmm. bringing that intact head, um, into the state is, you know, as we now know, sort of a big no, no, um, And I don't know if you saw, but, uh, you know, one of those hunters did plead guilty the following week, um, after, you know, we published this story, I think it was September 5th, uh, one of the hunters, I'm trying to, let's see if I can, yeah, Chad Caldwell Seymour, um, he pled guilty and was fined 10,000. He was put on 36 months probation from hunting, um, so that's sort of you know that part has has Mm. sussed itself out the other two hunters i think are still awaiting their their day in court but yeah at least one of them has pled guilty and is you know won't be hunting for the next three years because of it
0: i don't know how i feel about that i uh certainly if they know they broke the law yeah that's inexcusable but three years for bringing back a buck that you legally shot i don't know um But again, I'm not a biologist. They're the ones that are trying to keep a handle on this. And sometimes I think they go overboard with this disease and like going back to the propaganda here. Uh, It is a real thing and it's something we should all be aware of, right? But I think most hunters are aware of it at this point. Like if you're a whitetail deer hunter, you know what CWD is more. I mean, I don't think you could ask a deer hunter, sort of a youth hunter, hey, what's chronic wasting disease or what's CWD? And they would give you a blank stare. I think we all know what it is, that it exists. That it's real but just beating us over the head with it i don't know how productive and how how well of a, a use of resources you know how how those are being allocated i kind of tend to think i don't know maybe we can be doing other things there three years loss of hunting privileges eh, pretty steep he won't do it again won't we'll do it
1: again <laughs> and, and you know the int- this is getting a little you know kind of behind the scenes here um but his you know his main argument and the lawyer's main argument was that we didn't know about this rule According to the gentleman at the DNR I spoke with, um, they pretty much had the exact same thing happen to them in 2017. where they Same tried- dudes? Same dudes. Oh. Uh, at least one of them in 2017 mm. did the same thing. And at that point, the DNR in South Carolina was like, hey, this is... No bueno, but we're not going to, you know, we're going to let this slide. We're going to give you a warning. Um, So, you know, I mean, the way that I, the way that I see this, um, your opinions on, you know, everybody's opinions on CWD's side, like, I, I think they knew the rules and, you know, whether or not we fully agree with the rules as hunters, like, you know, it is important to follow these. Um, no, so,
0: well, if they knew, then there's no excuse. Like, yeah. I don't have any sympathy for them. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it is what it is. Whether you agree with the rules or not, they are the rules, and we need to play by the rules Yeah, or fight to get them changed. Mm. Well, interesting story, no doubt about it. I once uh, had had a friend. He passed away a couple years ago. Uh, but my friend uh, Jeff, he, he came in here in studio and told his story about, since you're from Texas, I'll tell you really quickly. Uh, he shot a deer in a high fence in the MLD season, so it was October and he always bought his hunting license in September for dove hunting. And that year, he didn't go dove hunting. I think it was a drought, or I don't. Maybe it rained too much. I don't know. But the birds, they they left, and so his place that he always went, he didn't he didn't buy a license. So he went on to this high fence ranch and shot this buck, and um, never thought twice about it because you don't even have to put a tag on it or anything, right? And later on, he did purchase a hunting license, but I think it was like. Uh a month later, he gets a knock on the door. It's the Game Wardens, like, hey, you know, we need to talk to you about this deer that you shot, and we were going through the logs of this ranch, and we noticed you didn't you didn't have a hunting license purchased at the time. Well, they they confiscated the deer, and uh, you know, he had paid oh gosh, dude, it was an expensive buck. It was like fifteen thousand dollars or something. It was a very, very nice, you know. If you're into hyphen's deer, which I've I've shot them, it's not my it's not my. Uh, if you invited me to your ranch and said you want to shoot a high fence buck, and I'm like, "Is it free?" I'd be like, "Yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, we'll drink a couple beers and do whatever." Those trophies don't mean much to me. Like, not like a free range mule deer in New Mexico at 11,000 feet would mean infinitely more. Yeah. But uh, but a trophy is in the eye of the beholder. So this was a trophy to him, and so he shot it and was real proud of it. And um, they came and confiscated it, and then the the state hit him up for civil restitution. On a buck that was never leaving the high fence, saying that it's the state's property. Well, yeah, okay. The white-tailed deer of the state of Texas belong to Texas Parks and Wildlife, and uh, and Jeff was like, "Yes, I broke the law. I didn't do it on purpose." But you're you're you know, I already paid fifteen grand for the deer, and now you want me to pay? I think they wanted fifteen grand in restitution because of how many inches it scored. And he was like, "Well, whoa, the actual breeder doe." is worth more money based off of the amount of, uh, bucks that it can produce in its, in its lifetime. But restitution on a doe is only like $400. And so he ended up getting, I think he ended up paying eight grand. He pleaded it down. He went to like, um, to Texas Parks and Wildlife, the, the head of the entire division and, and worked something out with him. paid like $8,000. Well, he ended up passing away. Uh, a year later, they changed that law to, make it to where you don't have to pay restitution on a high fence deer based off of what they score. Like if you shot one on the open range, then yes, you absolutely do. But that was kind of absurd. Um, So he learned his lesson. He broke the law, but uh, the law did get changed ultimately because of his experience.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, it has to, that's, if you really think about it, like Texas, we have an amazing, you know, there's an amazing white tail population down there, but they don't score the way that the high fence like you can't call a high fence deer in the state of texas and you know 200 inch buck if there are no you know right. on in free range in the state so yeah that's kind of yeah. a weird you know have your cake needed too sort of penalty it seems like yeah. Uh, um, but
0: yeah his his case was the poster child for that and ultimately got got that got that change so um. Well, fascinating stuff, man. I certainly appreciate it. Just some interesting outside of the box uh, stuff to consider. You know, there's no excuse for breaking game laws. Um, there isn't. We should all be aware of them. Uh, you know, so follow those to the best of your ability. And if you don't, then there's certainly a reckoning coming if you get caught. And that's what happened to these dudes. And and I get South Carolina. If you don't have CWD already, you know, I'd be proactive. It's I think it's different from places where it already exists, but yeah, it's kudos to them for, for trying to be proactive and finding out that these dudes, the same circle of folks did the same thing in 2017 makes me have very little sympathy for them. So yeah. Changes a little bit. Yeah. Well, Dak, I appreciate uh, you jumping on. I enjoy reading your articles, man. And where can, uh, where can folks follow along, stay, uh, you know, in the loop as far as what you're up to? Yeah, we're always through social media.
1: Um, our Instagram page has a big presence, you know, Outdoor Life. You can find all our news stories through there. Um I I really recommend looking into, you know, OL plus a subscription. It's only 13 a year, and that's where we're we're putting out some of our more, you know, in-depth uh feature stories that are that harken back to the, you know, um what what we've been doing here at Outdoor Life for 125 years now. Um mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean we're we've uh we've always got new stuff coming out. We're always looking for new stories. You know, you can look me up and, um, anybody in the country, you've got some cool story ideas, some stuff going on in, in your neck of the woods that you find interesting. You know, look me up on social media or, or shoot me an email. Thanks again. I appreciate it. Great talking with you, Cable. Thanks for having me.
0: So there he goes. Dak Collins of outdoor life. That segment of the presentation brought to you by all seasons, feeders and blinds and smokers. That's right. They've got pretty much everything you need for the lease. Uh, including campfire pits. Yeah, yeah. Kiddos love roasting marshmallows at deer camp. Uh, I like cooking on an open fire. Uh, so that's a win-win. They've also got pellet grills, uh, extensive, a very extensive lineup of smokers, and of course deer blinds and feeders, which is what they're known for. You can find all that great stuff right there at allseasonsfeeders.com. Uh, up next, many of you have asked over the years, how do I find a deer lease? I lost my deer lease. I just moved to Texas from uh, a blue state, had to get out of there. Love the smell of freedom. We could smell it all the way from Texas. So now we're here. How do I find a deer lease or a hunting property? I don't have all the answers, but I do have a few, and I will share them with you next, right here on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show.
1: Sunday, I'm a church chin, then a Saturday disgrace. And dad got the nerve to repent. Maybe it's a part of a plan
0: Well, something's gonna have to change Let me tell you about the Armorsight 640 contractor. It is the industry leading thermal technology in a very user friendly rifle scope. A 640 Armor Core 12 micro made in the USA thermal core. It's got a four hour onboard recording, four hour runtime on a full charge, USB and Wi Fi streaming, uh, eight user selectable reticles and six color palettes, and the most user friendly interface out there. Because you're operating these things in the dark. So uh, that's very important. You can find the contractor, the 640, or its little brother, the 320, right there at armorsite.com. She wore them, Navajo pearls and rain, the hair tied up. This is all That's Carson need. Jeffries, Ranch Girl Dream, bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg. Cable Smith here with Dream. you. Thanks for dropping here by. We're going to talk Girl deer Dream. leases in just a second. This segment, though, brought to you by Numa Outdoors. Let me tell you, I've worn the uh, other competitors, the top brands, been sponsored by some of them. Guess what? Numa's the best. Not only do they make amazing hunting apparel. They also offer a lifetime warranty. I beat the hell out of my stuff. Like the Pathfinder pant, I keep telling you, from the bar to filling feeders to the backcountry, the Pathfinder pant is, well, it's my favorite hunting pant of all time. And uh, it's got room in the crotch. It's breathable. It's rugged. Keeps those, uh, you know, especially if you're in like South Texas where everything can poke you, bite you, scratch you. Keeps all that stuff at bay while being the most comfortable pant you'll ever wear. Check it out. It's the Pathfinder Pant. You can save 20% off with that promo code LONESTAR20. Actually, that's 20% off their entire lineup of outdoor apparel. And uh, yeah, right there at NUMAoutdoors.com. All right. Well, let's talk leasing hunting property. Uh, One of my favorite places to go, obviously, is to the deer lease or turkey lease or quail lease or duck lease, whatever it is. Uh, One of my least favorite things to do and seemingly one of the most daunting tasks associated with hunting can be finding a lease. So, and I've been on a bunch over the years. I've lost good ones, gained good ones. Uh, It's, you know, unless you own land, which God bless all of you landowners, that's living the dream right there, maybe someday. Uh, But for the rest of us, leasing is reality. And so we play by your rules. We're just happy to be on your property. We pay you a fair price and uh, you let us hunt the problem is supply and demand how do we find a good lease so uh, and there is no there's no formula like there's no uh, hey th- guarantee you you'll find a lease like this but i will tell you how i have found good leases over the years and i've been on bad ones the worst the worst lease i was ever on was a uh, a duck lease and you could hunt it wednesday friday saturday sunday it rested Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. That's fine. I totally. I don't have a problem with that. Uh, the issue was that the dude that ran the lease accepted reservations starting at 12:01 a.m. on Monday nights. And if you're already asleep, well, you don't get a good spot. And when there's like 25 guns for four or five pawns, I mean, you get what I'm saying. Um, I think we 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 shot a limit. My buddy and I shot a limit opening day, and then we shot like two birds off of that. We just quit going. The rest of the season, we shot like two ducks, and I think we each paid $1,500. Huge waste of money, right? Um, So that's a bad, bad, bad deal. Uh, I was on a turkey lease one time. Void of turkeys. They were in a drought. You know what? That wasn't the landowner's fault. He told me, yes, we have turkeys. I haven't seen them in a while. You're welcome to try it out. Uh another time I leased property 6 hours away for mule deer, put out some cameras, all I ever saw were does. Never even had a shooter buck on camera ever. Got a nice 10 point whitetail, which they had told me they didn't even have whitetails. Uh the landowner gave me half my money back. So, not a terrible deal, it was worth the risk. Um Then I've been on leases where the property was sold out from under me. like Literally while I was on the property hunting, locks changed, boom, you're out of here. I was able to get a hold of that dude's lawyer and get my money back because he sold that 1,000 acres for like $2 bucks. So we got our money back out of that one, but still a horrible deal. I mean, you lost your lease in the middle of the season. So this is the game that you play. But how do you find a good lease? Number one. One thing I do is talk to farmers, talk to people that you know that own land, that, you know, they're not leasing their property, they hunt it themselves, uh, or they have leased it already, but guess what? Maybe their neighbor is leasing the property next to them, or their neighbor's neighbor. Uh, Knocking on doors, I think it's really an antiquated way, like, hey, can I mend your fences? Can I feed your cows for a couple days of hunting. There's too much money tied up in hunting. Landowners know, by and large, what they have. And so, you know, a lot of those handshake deals still exist, but they go back a ways. Finding a free lease on a handshake deal these days is like, uh, you know, Charlie getting the golden ticket to Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. So, not saying it can't happen, but the odds are not in your favor. W- ways that you can find a good hunting property, uh, like I said, just talk to anyone that owns land first and foremost, and tell them to keep their ears open for you. Um, that is, there's there's no other there's no better way. I've picked up multiple leases from from folks that you know I didn't hunt with, but maybe I'd gone fishing with. I knew that they had a, a hunting property. Somewhere, And I said, hey, you know, if you hear of anything in your area, please call me first. I'm always looking to lease land. Uh, that's how I picked up the 200 acres in Oklahoma. My buddy Roy hunts up there. And he had actually, he hadn't deer hunted the property, but he had permission to uh, thin out the hog herd with a the thermal at night. And he was like, dude, I've seen some big bucks on this property. And I think the landowner is fed up with them bitching about his cattle. So... Worked out for me because he was fed up. So don't bitch if you're gonna lease property. That's another thing. Because if you want to keep the property, uh, you deal with their rules. You deal with their livestock. If you don't like the cows getting into your feed, put up a feed pin. It's that simple. But those are, I mean, those are things that you're gonna have to deal with. I had a horse on that place in Oklahoma, the first place in Oklahoma that I leased. Destroy my truck. Literally chewed up every panel of the truck, as far as his teeth, went through the paint and into the actual metal. Every panel on that truck had to be replaced. Insurance covered it, but they were like, what the hell did you say happened? I was like, a horse did this. They were like, never seen that before. Uh, but I, you know what? I didn't even say anything to the landowner about that. Was, you know, I, I knew that he had horses there, and uh, I parked the truck, and yeah, they had their way with it. Uh, but there were some big deer on that property. So you, you can't expect to deal with inconveniences. But as far as going back to finding them, another way, one of the best ways, Craigslist is your friend. But you can't just check in on Craigslist one time and you know, say, oh, I'm going to find it. at least. You have to check it every morning when you wake up or every afternoon. You need to check it constantly. And I would say equal, maybe even better. Than Craigslist these days, Facebook Marketplace. That is a great way to find a hunting lease, um, but again, it's one that you're going to have to check every day. And it's just like when I found my, finally found the the camper for the deer lease. I was on Facebook Marketplace and Craigslist every morning. First thing I did when I I got up, I said thank you Lord for this day, and then it was uh, straight on to Facebook Marketplace. That's where I actually found. Uh, more leads than, than Craigslist. And I would say that holds true for the leasing side of things as well. Uh, another great resource would be any online hunting forums in your state here at Texas bow hunter is a great one. Uh, Texas hunting forum, although I haven't been on that place in over a decade, uh, but there's always properties for lease on those entities. Um, so check those out. If you've got a, a forum in your part of the world, you don't even have to join. You can just creep on it. Like I'm, I don't, I'm not a member of, I don't think any hunting forum anymore, uh, or certainly don't participate. But uh, you can creep the classifieds and potentially find yourself a property there. Uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife also has a uh, lease listing section on their website. So check that out. Mixed reviews there. Uh, I've never had one of those leads pan out, but there certainly are quite a few properties listed. So, and more of that was just like location for me. Uh, There were some, some decent properties last time I checked on there. And of course there are leasing apps out there, uh, but mm, those are all going to be subscription based. So you got to pay to see the listings. Um, I have not utilized those paying to, to see them. I'm not saying they don't work. You could try one out if you want to. I have not, so I can't speak to those, but they do exist. One other thing to mention, and you know, most places that are leased up is for whitetail deer, but some whitetail hunters, I would say the majority of hunters, don't care about quail. So you could potentially get a late season quail lease, or really what I'm referring to is spring turkey hunting, or if you're if you just want to hunt pigs in the springtime. Uh, a lot of whitetail guys will sublease the lease to you. Like, they're not using it. They're they're really only concerned with whitetail. Uh, they don't care if you hunt pigs or turkey. And so for a minimal fee, and a lot of times they're just looking at it as a way to cover their feed costs. Feeding deer is expensive. Uh, they'll sublease it to you for spring turkey season. So keep that in mind. Turkey leases, like a guided turkey hunt, pff, you might pay $1,500. Uh, trust me, I've done those too nothing wrong with that. Wonderful experiences on, on guided turkey hunts. But I was able to lease like a thousand, it it might've been 2000 acres. I don't even remember. Uh, a huge property for spring Turkey cost me $700 and you can shoot four turkeys per guy. Me and a buddy shared it. So think about those things and keep in mind, uh, if you're a good steward of the land and, you know, develop a good relationship with the deer hunters on the property, Hey, when a spot opens up, guess who's going to be first on their list to call. So like I said, there's no secret formula when it comes to finding a lease. You need to have as many tools in the toolbox as you can. And uh, it's a numbers game. It's like, it's like sales. It's like business. You're going to get out of 10 calls. You're going to get nine no's and one maybe. And you hope that that maybe turns into a yes. Um, And it's the same way with finding a lease. So don't get discouraged, because you will likely have way more no's than you will yeses. But keep plugging away, and uh, eventually it'll come together for you. If And if you do find a free lease, my gosh, good on you. I'm jealous, because those are few and far between these days. Um, unfortunately, we're out of time. Got to go. Got to get out of here. Thanks to Dak Collins of Outdoor Life, our guest today. Thanks to uh, all of our sponsors, including Armacite and uh, Black Rifle Coffee for bringing you that last segment. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying good luck finding that lease, and y'all have a great week in the outdoors.